All right. Last week, Devin began our series on the Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary. October 31st will be the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And it is a series that we have endeavored to do to instruct you and to equip you in the history of the church. And it, it is... Um, it's a lot of information, and this is not an expository uh, teaching, which we normally do on Sunday morning. We teach expositorily, verse by verse, book by verse, book by book. But this, this next five weeks, we're going to be teaching you on the foundations of the Reformation. And this morning, particularly, I'm going to be centering in on what is known as sola scriptura, which is Latin for scripture alone or scripture only. And that is, uh, and there's a reason for that, and I'll explain that in a, in a few moments. But that was the seed of the Reformation. That's where the Reformation really kicked off. And I'm, let me pray. Let me pray. This is, this is such an important topic. And I want you to walk away from this, not just aware of history, I want you to walk away aware of how God has worked in history for our good. So, Father, thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather as your church this morning and to hear from you in Scripture. Lord, please help us as a church to grasp the magnitude of what you have done in sending your son and in informing the church and in caring for your church. Lord, help me to communicate well this morning to the church that I love. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to be working from the passage, and I'll be reading that in a little bit, from 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 16. The title of the message is simply Scripture Alone. Let me read something to you. Catholic theologian Sylvester Prairius, in refuting the Reformation in 1555, said this. Whoever does not hold fast to the teachings of the Roman Church and of the Pope as the infallible rule of faith, from which even Holy Scripture draws its strength and authority, is a heretic. Whoever does not hold fast to the teachings of the Roman church and the Pope as the infallible rule of faith from which even Holy Scripture draws its strength and authority is a heretic. That, that is what stirred Martin Luther's heart. The leaders of the Catholic church and, and often referred to as Rome, so if I use Rome, I'm speaking of the Catholic Church, believed that the Pope was the supreme power on earth and only he could interpret Scripture. It was taught that his words and his decisions were not only equal to Scripture, but actually were infallible and more authoritative than the Bible. Now, kids, when I use the word Bible, that does not count. So do not mark down Bible. Because of this belief... Because of this doctrine that the Catholic Church held on to, 
they actually unwittingly planted the seeds that blossomed into the Reformation. On October 31st, 1516, God used Martin Luther's protest of Rome's heretical teaching to water these seeds and ignite the Reformation. Luther, who is a Catholic priest, recognized that the Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Empire, had badly strayed from the foundation of the Christian faith, where they no longer believed that the Bible, that scripture, had final authority in all matters. This later, this came clear to Luther as he observed the Catholic practice of indulgences. The Catholic Church had created this thing called purgatory, that when you died, you didn't go directly to heaven or directly to hell. You went to purgatory. And however many merits that you earned by being good as you grew up, as you lived, those merits would eventually, hopefully, get you out of purgatory. Now, I don't know who checked merits. Was there a guy in purgatory, a purgatorian, who would open up the book and check how many merits you had? But they created this this other doctrine called the doctrine of indulgences, where you would buy merits, that you would purchase merits from the church. And, and even, interestingly, Martin Luther was believed that when he was serving in actually Rome, in a Catholic church in Rome, that if you preached at this particular Catholic church in Rome, that your mom would go directly to heaven and skip purgatory because that Catholic church was so special. That's what Martin Luther was battling against. This practice of purgatory, this practice of indulgences was not only heretical, but more importantly, it was clearly destructive to the teaching on the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The biblical truth that we cannot earn our salvation by our own merits, that we are incapable of ever meriting God's favor because of our sin. Salvation is in Christ alone. That's what Luther discovered. Luther discovered that it was Christ's perfect righteousness, not his righteousness, not his attempt to merit righteousness that paid for our sins. And it was as he read in the Gospels about the cross of Christ that God, by the Spirit, brought illumination and the seeds of the Reformation began. Luther, in reading his Bible, came to see that the only perfect, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, all-powerful, and ultimate authority is not the Pope, it is not the Roman Church, it is the Word of God. It is the Scripture. That's what Luther came to see. Scripture alone. And this is where... The doctrine of sola scriptura or scripture alone had its rebirth. And that is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Luther's chief aim was to recapture the supremacy of the Bible because by doing so, he would recapture the truth of the gospel. Rome had perverted the gospel and until it it was literally it was no gospel at all. The Reformation was about reforming the church 
The church's position and teaching and view of the Bible as something meant for every man and every woman and every child, not just for the Pope and for clergy. And that's what was going on in that day. The Pope and the clergy were the only ones who were allowed to read the Bible. They were the only ones who could probably understand the Bible. And the Pope ultimately was the one who would interpret the Bible. And the common man, the common woman, the common child could not own a Bible, could not understand the Bible. It was written in Latin, and so it was reserved for the clergy. But sola scriptura changed all that, and it protects and preserves the gospel. So now, 500 years later, as we remember and honor the courageous men and women of the Reformation, what does the doctrine of sola scriptura mean for us today? Does it have the importance today as it did 500 years ago because of what had happened with the Catholic Church? Oh, it does. It does. I got online um, this week and I decided to find out who believes in, in the inerrancy and the infallibility and the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture and who does not. And so one of the articles I picked up is the Bible isn't perfect and it says so itself. This was the article, and this person, I mean, you're welcome to have this. I don't know why you would want it, um, but this is one thing this person says. Biblical inerrancy is certainty grounded in fear and the need for control. That's what they say. And they say that, that they, they equate the Bible and its, its fallibility with he, he, with his mom. That's how he does it. He equates the Bible with his mom. And this is what he says. In other words, my mom is a lot like the Bible. She's not perfect, but I can still trust what she says is true. You see, it's okay to believe that Noah's Ark was filled with all the animals on earth when you're five years old, and then change your mind when you realize the physical impossibility of that when you're an adult, but still have faith in that story. My friends, the Bible, sola scriptura, is still under assault today. So it's, it's an important distinction that, that we must make, a distinction that scripture supports, that the Bible is the inspired and breathed out, infallible, inerrant, sufficient, and final authority in our lives. Scripture is sufficient for all that it was appointed to do. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my, my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Scripture alone. But, and I'll get to this a little bit more, but it's, Scripture also is not alone. And what I mean by that is Scripture extends a degree of authority to the church for pastoral leadership. Hebrews 13, 7, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to your leaders. For the, and it, it provides a, a certain degree of authority for church discipline, Matthew 18. It provides a certain degree of authority for pastoral care and preaching and protection. 
The doctrine or teaching of sola scriptura is important for us today as it was 500 years ago. And 2 Timothy helps provide some insights for us into this. So if you would turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Familiar passage to you. Second Timothy is Paul's letter to his son in the faith, not his actual son, but his son in the faith, Timothy. Paul's, Paul's letter in Second Timothy is the last letter he wrote. He was literally days, if not just a week or so away from being martyred. And so these words, as you read Second Timothy, these are the words of a dying man. These are Paul's final words to Timothy before his martyrdom. Starting in verse 10, he says to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not one of your promise verses over your mirror in your bathroom, is it? While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Three points from 2 Timothy on sola scriptura, the foundation, the challenges, and the benefits. The foundation of sola scriptura, the challenges of sola scriptura, and the benefits of sola scriptura. The foundation. Well, the foundation is is simply this. Verse 16. Look at verse 16 with me. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's it. All scripture, every word, every page, every chapter, every book, all scripture is breathed out by God. The Bible was inspired by God. It was breathed out for him as he used human authors to communicate to humanity. The authority of God's word is grounded in inspiration. Without inspiration, the Bible is not authoritative. It is not infallible. It is not inerrant. It is the inspiration, the breathing out, the inspired word of God that gives it its authority. That is the foundation. There are divine and there are human aspects to scripture because God used men to write the Bible. But God used men divinely. And yes, God is, however, he is the primary in this, but men are used in the writing of the Bible. He is, though, he's the divine author, and the scripture comes from him. He used ordinary human beings to communicate to us over a long period of time to write the Bible and, and to help us understand what he intends for us to understand. 
And in his graciousness, look at the goodness and the mercy and the love and the kindness of God in the writing of the Bible. He used our language so that we could understand. You know, the Bible wasn't just dropped down from heaven. It just didn't appear mechanically. It was used by fallible men. It was written by fallible men. Men with, with experience in, in life who were going through their own situations like Paul is here. And God uses common language. And he, he inspired men to not only write the Bible, but he inspired men to translate the Bible into the language of whatever country. And so that is the goodness of God that you can open the Bible and you can read it. And, you know, when I'm in when I'm in, been in India and I open their Bibles and it's all written in Telugu. I mean, I, I don't even know what chapter I'm in, much less I can look at at least the numbers work. But that's about it. But God has given us in his kindness this. This is God's primary communication to mankind. There is no communication from God. There is no communication from God that is more authoritative, more important, more insightful, and more perfect than the scripture. Than this Bible right here. And when we read the Bible, we are listening to the voice of God. When I just read that passage, that was, you heard Larry Malaman's voice, but it was God speaking. It was God communicating to you. These are more than words on a page. These are inspired words that come from God. They are made alive by the Spirit of God who brings illumination to us so that we can understand the words of God, so that we can know God and we can follow after God. And so the first thing that we see in this passage, the foundation of sola scriptura is that the Bible is inspired. Verse 16. Secondly, this will be the longer point. The challenges that we find in Sola Scripture, 11 through 13, gives us a sum of them. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The scriptures are regularly misused and challenged and as a result of us standing for sola scriptura as as for us as Christians who believe in the inspired infallible inerrant all sufficient authoritative all powerful word of God for us who stand on that we're considered bigots racists ignorant Backwater, Southerners. It's a part of standing for the Word of God. 
Martin Luther and William Tyndale and John Wycliffe and many others took on the tedious and the agonizing labor of translating the Bible into their specific language so that everyone could read and understand God-inspired word. And by doing so, they could come to faith in Christ. These men battled for the Bible, as did many saints throughout history. Many have suffered and sacrificed to protect sola scriptura so that God's glory and God's authority and supremacy and majesty would reign supreme over all, that the scriptures would maintain the place that it should be. When Mary became Queen of England, she worked to bring England back to the Roman Catholic Church. One of her first acts was to arrest Bishop Ridley, Bishop Latimer, and Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. After serving time in the Tower of London, the three were taken to Oxford in September of 1555 to be examined by the Lord's Commissioner in Oxford's Divinity School. When Ridley was asked if he believed the Pope was heir to the authority of Peter as the foundation of the church, he replied that the church was not built on any man, but on the truth Peter confessed that Christ was the Son of God. Ridley said he could not honor the Pope in Rome since the papacy was seeking its own glory, not the glory of God. Neither Ridley nor Latimer could accept the Roman Catholic Mass as a sacrifice of Christ. Latimer told the commissioners Christ made one oblation and sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, and that a perfect sacrifice. Neither needeth there to be, nor can there be any other propitiatory sacrifice. These opinions were deeply offensive to Roman Catholic theologians. Oh yeah, if you believe that the, that the Pope is the ultimate infallible authority, that is offensive to you. Both Ridley and Latimer were burned at the stake in Oxford on this day, October 16, 1555. As he was being tied to the stake, Ridley prayed, O Heavenly Father, I give unto thee most hearty thanks that thou hast called me to be a professor of thee, even unto death. I beseech thee, Lord God, have mercy on this realm of England and deliver it from all her enemies, primarily Rome. Ridley's brother had brought some gunpowder for the men to place around their necks so death would come more quickly. They would explode. But Ridley still suffered greatly. With a loud voice, Ridley cried out, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. But the wood was green and burned only Ridley's lower parts without touching his upper body. He was heard repeatedly calling out, Lord, have mercy on me, I cannot burn. Let the fire come unto me, I cannot burn. One of the bystanders finally brought the flames to the top of the pyre to hasten Ridley's death. Latimer died much more quickly, standing next to Ridley. As the flames quickly rose, Latimer encouraged Ridley, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. These men died to protect the purity of the Bible. They died to uphold Scripture alone as our ultimate authority. They died to preserve God's glory and God's supremacy by preserving the Holy Scriptures as the ultimate authority in the life of the Christian. 
They died so that everyone would have an opportunity to see Christ in the Bible, to have the Holy Spirit reveal Christ to them from the Bible, that they might believe in Christ and become followers of Christ. That's what these men died for. Erasmus, who was a contemporary of Luther, who translated the New Testament into Greek, opened up a whole new avenue of the study of theology by translating the Bible from Latin into Greek. And, and yet, he did not, as a Catholic, believe the Bible is God's final authority. He believed that church tradition, Rome, was equal in authority and inspiration. And, and again, little has changed in our day. We, we stand up for inerrancy and inspiration, like I said, because, and, and when we do, we are, we are, we are ridiculed. We are ridiculed. Another of the interesting little tidbits that I picked up from the internet, this person wrote, this other, this another person said, if we pay attention when we read the scripture, we discover that there are some things that don't always add up. That's their view of Scripture. Often the claim that the Bible is inerrant comes with a whole other host of ideas that are problematic. Really. This person goes on to say, to claim that the Bible is the end-all, be-all, is to deny that the Holy Spirit will continue to work among us. Finally, advocates of biblical inerrancy tell us that if it's not in the Bible, it is not of God. When we say this, we reduce the revelation of God to Scripture. <laughs> that is what our culture believes. And that is what our culture is standing up for more and more. God's Word is under assault today. And what is sad is that these two that I read from you are professing evangelicals. They're not Catholics. They're professing evangelicals. That's the first challenge. Is that when we stand up for sola scriptura, we will be persecuted. And we will be ridiculed. As, as Paul stood for the Lord, which in standing for the Lord, he's standing for the Bible, the truth. Secondly, the challenge is sola scriptura recaptured the truth of this idea, the priesthood of all believers. In other words, everyone could read the Bible. Everyone can understand the Bible. God can speak to us by the Spirit in Scripture. Every Christian is capable of reading it. And it is transformative when we do read the Bible. It will bring transformation. But Sola Scriptura also opened the door for some, some dangers. The Reformation did not solve all the problems of interpretive errors that we saw in the church of Rome and even today. Individuals could now wrongly interpret scripture. How, how often have you heard people say, I can read the Bible for myself and interpret it as I understand it. Who are you to argue with my interpretation? This is, this is my interpretation and, and that's yours. Except that the Bible only has one interpretation. You can only interpret scripture as it was meant to be interpreted. God only meant one thing to say when he said what he said. It wasn't like God said, here's something. Now, interpret it however it makes you feel good and fits your situation. No. 
No, 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 no. Yeah, there are, there are different principles you can get out of a passage. But there's only one interpretation. It only means one thing. The original author, the author who wrote it, when he wrote it, he wrote it with one original intent. But today, because of individualism and independence, um, sola scriptura comes to mean whatever I want it to mean. Whatever seems to be right in my eyes. But sola scriptura does not mean each person interprets scripture as they see best. That's not scripture alone. That's not what, what it means. It's why Luther and others actually believed in traditions that still have place in the church. Now, what I mean by traditions, I mean the biblical practices of the church. The community of believers, this community is responsible to protect the integrity of God's word. To protect the right interpretations and protect God's word through creeds and confessions and statements and the faithful preaching of scripture. And we must be careful to distinguish between Scripture alone as our final authority and Scripture all alone. Scripture is not all alone. The church is here as a, as a gatekeeper and a caretaker of God's Word. Not an interpreter in that we, we add to God's Word or we take away from God's Word, but as those who are called to learn and go deeper and discover what the original intent and meaning of the scriptures are. That's what the church is responsible to do. We must be careful. History has proven this truth. Think about this. The Council of Carthage. I mean, do you read anywhere in the Bible where it says these are the 66 books of the Bible? You read anywhere? Where did that come from? How did we determine what is called the canon of Scripture, the 66 Bibles? Where did that come from? Well, it came from councils of godly men meeting and, and laboring tediously and working and coming up. And the first was the Council of Carthage, which was one of the ones responsible to determine the canon of Scripture. So it was men. That was part of this tradition. The Nicene Council gave us the creed to combat the heresy, Arianism. Do you know what Arianism is? Well, today we would call them Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, Arianism, you're talking back, in, back in, in, in Nicaea, you're talking, you know, five, four hundred years ago, the same heresy still exists today. And so these creeds help protect the integrity and the veracity, the truth of God's word. The Trinity, the word Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. Ever. Where do we get the word Trinity from? How did that con- I mean, the Trinity is obviously clearly taught in the Bible. We know about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We understand the Trinity as, as one God, three persons, each fully God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. But it's not mentioned in the Bible. Where'd that come from? Well, it came from men exegeting the Word of God and interpreting the Word of God. And and so the Belgic Confession of 1567 was foundational in affirming the Reformation. 
And that Belgic Confession still stands today. In 1978, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy was created by men like J.I. Packer and James Boyce and John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul to protect biblical inerrancy. And that Chicago Statement still exists today as a, as a, a tradition of the church to protect sola scriptura. And even in recent years, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood affirmed biblical complementarianism in 1987. So, we need the church to defend sola scriptura. That's why we just don't say, I I can just interpret God's word as I see fit. No. No, and if someone in this church stands up and says, well, this is my interpretation of God's word, and someone else in our church stands up and says, this is my interpretation, and it's like, that's great, but you're both wrong. Let's see what the real interpretation is. That is what the church does. The church protects. Now, the church is not perfect. The church is not infallible. God's word is infallible. And we don't live our Christian lives in a vacuum or in isolation, but among other believers. And so that's why we need to be together. We need the church. We need believers, other believers, to help protect us from error and bad interpretation. We need pastors to preach expositionally who rightly divide the word of truth. Listen, individualism and independence are enemies of Scripture. And they're enemies of the church. That's a strong statement, and I understand that. But when you boil it down, that's, that's where guys come to. When they interpret, when they get to God's word on their own and say, let, let me be the judge of God's word, rather than God's word judging them. And that's what happens with individualism and independence from the church. There are, listen, there are no new doctrines being discovered We only go deeper into the doctrines that are already in Scripture. And Paul made sure Timothy Timothy saw these truths as he provided an example in the grandmother and mother. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what the church does. That's how the church protects Scripture, the sacred writings, and protects us. And thirdly, finally, the benefits. Scripture is useful. Again, look at verse 15. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise... For salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable. It is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. That's the benefit of sola scriptura. The sacred scriptures are given to us to make us wise for salvation through our faith in Christ Jesus. Four ways the scriptures do this. The first one, and, and when I, the first two, where it says teaching and reproof, we're talking about doctrine here. And the second two, when we're talking about um, correction and training in righteousness, we're talking about personal conduct. 
good behavior, biblical behavior. But teaching, we profit by listening to the teaching of God's word. Listen, the most important responsibility I have as your pastor is to preach God's word. That's the most important responsibility I have. Care for you, counsel you, hospital visits, marriage counseling, whatever, those are crucial to my pastoral responsibilities. But the most important responsibility I have is to rightly divide the word of truth and to preach it to you. We profit by listening to God's word. And that's why being here on Sunday is really the most important moment of the week. This moment right here, this preaching moment is more important even than our singing. It's more important than our fellowship. This is the most important moment of our week. We profit by listening to the teacher of God's word, primarily through expository preaching, verse by verse, book by book, exposition of God's intended communication. That's the first benefit of sola scriptura. Secondly, because, when, because the benefit is you're getting the inspired, infallible word of God. Secondly, reproof. And, and what, what the scriptures do, it reproves, it, re, it refutes doctrinal error. That's what reproof means there. Refuting doctrinal error. Listen, the Spirit illumines our minds so that we can understand doctrine, which the word doctrine just means teaching rightly, so we can experience conviction and transformation, growth in Christ, becoming more like Christ. Remember what Paul writes here in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast. You followed my example. You followed after me as I followed Christ. As I followed Christ in the scriptures. Paul was a man of the scriptures. And so following and after and and experiencing transformation, that's what what doctrine is meant to do do for us. And reproof is to refute bad doctrine. And we all come up with bad doctrine. We're not, it's like, you're not, just don't think of, of cults and um, occult and, and bad doctrine is even in our own hearts. I didn't pray today. I had a flat tire. And the reason I had a flat tire was because God was angry at me because I didn't pray today. That's bad doctrine. But I've heard people say things like that. God is angry with me. These are the reason my trials occur. No, that's just bad doctrine. Why pray? God knows it all anyway. That's bad doctrine. We pray because the Bible tells us to pray. And so reproof here is to refute the bad doctrine. And that's what preaching is to do. I hope my preaching, Devin's preaching, whoever stands up here and exegetes God's word, I hope it reproves you. I hope it, it refutes whatever bad doctrines you're believing. Why? So you can love Christ more. So you can know Christ more. So you can appreciate and worship Christ more. The purpose of, of reproving is so that Ephesians 1.18 says this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's what we want you to know. Psalm 119, 130 also 
supports this, if I can get to it. Psalm 119 says, The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And so God's word brings an open, it helps you to see. So teaching, reproof, the, the third thing that, that sola scriptura, God's word, correction. The point of every biblical text, the point of every biblical text is to do this. It's to command your conscience. It's to command your conscience. The Bible is to correct your bad behavior. That's, it's, it's not legalistic. That's hope. Through the illuminating work of the Spirit. And it is the Spirit. It's not our ability to interpret. It's not our ability to translate. It's, it's, the, in, it's the illuminating work of the Spirit. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit to get us back on the right path so we honor God by the way we live. God's Word straightens us out. This is what makes God's Word so practical. And those who accept its, its correction will experience transformation. And then fourthly, the benefit is training in righteousness. Scripture brings the discipline needed to live the Christian life. It provides us with everything we need for godliness. Now, it, it doesn't... It, the Bible doesn't give you the answer to every question you ever had in the world. Why does the sky turn red? Why is the... Why is the water blue? Why is the sky Carolina blue? Why? It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> it's not Maryland red. Luther fought for sola scriptura so common man could learn about Christ and come to faith in Christ through the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 Since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Luther fought for that. That the scriptures would be understood so that people could come to faith in Christ. But secondly, so that we have God's word so that we might live for Christ. Being as Paul writes here, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. All to the glory of God. So let me summarize. God's shepherding care is clearly expressed in the gift of the Bible to his church. It's, it's an expression. It's one of the greatest expressions of his love other than the sending of his son to die for our sins. It's an amazing and unparalleled expression of his love. This, this is God speaking to us. This scripture is God talking. Secondly, we live out sola scriptura most effectively in community. Not individually and not independently. Yes, we read the Bible. We have quiet personal devotions. And that is important. And we study the scripture. But we live this out. And we understand this best in community, in God's church. together, And it's together where we learn and we stand to defend the word of God. The doctrine of Scripture alone is a hill that we should be willing to perish on in protecting its integrity. Let me close with this. In February of 1945, 
70,000 Marines landed on a small but strategic strip of land in the South Pacific known as Iwo Jima. 22,000 elite Japanese soldiers known as the Red Sun were waiting to defend the island. No one had any idea what to expect and what they eventually experienced when they landed on shore was beyond their imagination. It took over one month to capture the island that was four and a half miles long and two and a half miles wide. Half of the 92,000 men fighting were either wounded or killed trying to take or defend the higher ground, the most valuable area being Mount Suribachi. The ascent of Mount Suribachi began on February 19th and ended four grueling and costly days later on February 23rd when six soldiers finally planted an American flag at the summit. Listen, we have planted our flag on the hill to defend God's word. The Reformation was the, was the, the ascent on the summit to get to the top of that hill. The Reformation has brought us to this place of sola scriptura. No matter the cost, no matter the suffering, no matter the persecution, we cannot, we will not back down from defending sola scriptura. Father, thank you for the opportunity to live today and hold a Bible in our hands. What a gift this is. And, and thank you for men like Martin Luther and John Wycliffe and William Tyndale who paved the way that we might stand here, sit here today studying your word. What a gift. And Lord, help us never to, to just take for granted this gift to us. Let us be men, women, and children of the word for the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.